Welcome to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts talk about all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will discuss the electoral scenario ahead of this weekend's presidential runoff and the challenges that await Brazil's next president. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez, and I'm joined by my colleagues Lucas and Thiago Aragão. How are you guys doing today? Hello, everyone. Hello, guys. All right, so we are just a couple days away from the presidential runoff, and the current scenario is showing that Bolsonaro has maintained his favoritism. The most recent Ibope poll, however, released uh, this Thursday night, has Bolsonaro leading by 12 percentage points, looking only at valid votes. Now, it is important to mention that Bolsonaro's lead has decreased by five points since mid-October. So the two main questions are, why did this happen? And is this enough for Haddad to get his hopes up ahead of the presidential runoff? Michael, this is Lucas. Uh, I think that the, the main reason behind this new curve, uh, which shows Haddad growing in this final stretch, uh, was basically a video that went viral in the beginning of the week, where the son of Jair Bolsonaro, Congressman Eduardo Bolsonaro, makes some very uh, weird, to say the least, remarks regarding... Uh, even he was almost in a jokingly way, but even so, how it's easy uh, to close the Supreme Court. This had some very poor repercussion in the media. Uh, all sectors of the judiciary power in Brazil uh, went forward, came forward and criticized the congressman. And this obviously had uh, a negative impact in a campaign that constantly has to uh, convince others that it is uh, a campaign that if they won would be a democratic, a fully democratic one. We have also to understand, and, and the Bolsonaro's team has to understand, that every comment that they make, which are controversial, uh, will be multiplied by 10 in the way it's exposed in, in the, in the, throughout the country. And this is for several factors, because of the history of controversial narratives and, and points were made by both Bolsonaro and his family and his teammates over the past uh, year, and, as, and also the fact that he's leading the polls, so he's an obvious target for that. The current antipathy that the press has in relation to him and at the majority of the press also boosts parts of this, this message that also reminding, as Lucas well said, it is weird to say the least, and it's something that it's definitely not uh, something that a congressman should ever say about the Supreme Court, but this is the type of thing that has been harming Bolsonaro since the beginning of the campaign, not enough to take the lead away of him. And it's natural that it kept going until the, the very end of this campaign. And, and, you know, we have to admit this from a strategic point of view, from an electoral strategy point of view, this is pretty much the worst uh, type of comment that can come from the, the Bolsonaro camp. Um, for a candidate that has been heavily criticized as representing a, a possible risk for Brazil's democracy, statements like this, uh, where he discusses uh, how many soldiers would be necessary to, to close and arrest Supreme Court justices in Brazil, is just a big mistake. Um, but I, I also think it's important to recognize that Jair Bolsonaro himself 
um, was one of the first to come out and reprimand his son for the comments, um, something similar to what happened when Bolsonaro's vice president made controversial uh, statements about the end-of-year bonus that Brazilian workers received. And on top of that, we had a week in and where the, the candidate uh, of the PT, the presidential candidate of the PT, Fernando Haddad, made some very populist remarks on social media and, and made some very populist promises on TV where he promised uh, to cap the price of the gas in Brazil, to uh, reduce prices of energy, and to increase the minimum wage way beyond inflation. Uh, so this obviously might have had an impact, especially on poorer regions of the country. If we look at the poll a little bit more deeper, we can see that uh, Adaj grew in the North region, which is a region uh, where where the social uh, problems of of of, of uh, economy and all, all together is is very high. So I think this populist approach of Adaj on social media and on TV, which he explored, might have had a difference to close this gap with Bolsonaro. Also, this type of controversial narrative uh, and remarks that has been a constant within the Bolsonaro campaign over the, the past months and the past year is something that, as we obviously can see right now, hasn't harmed him heavily throughout his campaign. But this is something that they really have to gather act together beginning uh, Monday if it confirms their favoritism to win the election. Because this cannot happen anymore as an elected president to be able to, to, to actually spend most of his time explaining and rephrasing things that were said in order to be able to maintain a dialogue with society. This is something that they really must organize themselves or else their problems with the opposition, even some allies, not to say the press, will be definitely recurrent throughout this administration. Now, I, I have a question for both of you. I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, the, the final leg of this campaign has been different from previous uh, presidential electoral campaigns here in Brazil, because usually in these final weeks, we would have a series of televised debates. Um, TV ads would be a, a lot more influential. And Bolsonaro, who has been uh, leaning on his big lead and his favoritism and has been absent uh, from all of the televised debates, of course, he has uh, medical reasons uh, for that as well. But he has also admitted in the past that it's part electoral strategy to be absent from, from the debates. Um, I think it's clear that his absence has uh, uh, allowed these negative narrative to, to gain some legs and for Haddad's comments to win over some new supporters and to reduce his rejection rating. So my question to you is, it, was it a mistake for Bolsonaro to not attend the televised debates and just lean on his social media following and his lead in these crucial final days of the campaign? I, I don't think that it was a, a mistake, Michael. But obviously, uh, if he loses, we're going we're gonna to look back and, 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 and see this as a decisive uh, point. But uh, I think at this moment, Bolsonaro is in a situation where he can't make any mistakes. And a debate, a televised debate for the whole country against a very experienced adversary, which is the Workers' Party, is a fertile area to commit mistakes. So I think that Bolsonaro's lead at this moment is still 
somewhat comfortable for him not to go to the debate. The problem is there is a trend. The trend is Bolsonaro is losing a little bit of space, but Haddad is growing a little bit more. However, since the percentage points of those that are very firmly convicted that they will vote on Bolsonaro and Haddad's rejection is still uh, higher than Bolsonaro, I think that he will use these arguments to stay home, not participate in the debate because he still is uh, the favorite, the clear favorite for the Sunday election. And I think just a, a final point on this um, is the fact of voter consolidation. I think uh, the, the Ibope polls and other recent polls have shown that the the radicalization of the debate and the polarization of the debate, of the debate leads to voters being firmly consolidated in either one camp or the other. And I think what we're seeing is maybe a shift in some of uh, the the undecided or, or borderline supporters, but I think a huge portion of the supporters for both Bolsonaro and Haddad um, have shown very high levels of consolidation. Something like 95% of uh, Bolsonaro support, supporters were firm in their decision and around 89 or 90 for Haddad, but both are very high and that makes uh, a reversal of this scenario a uh, unlikely uh, situation. But moving on to our next topic, I think one thing that we definitely have to discuss, uh, regardless of who wins these elections, there are several challenges that await Brazil's next president. Um, I wanted to hear a little from you on what you think are the main challenges and how uh, Bolsonaro or even Haddad uh, could uh, overcome these challenges? Besides the, the intrinsic uh, challenges that Bolsonaro will have, of the polarization that we see in the country, of the fierce opposition that he's going to, to face, not only in the parliament, but also among some, some social movements in the country, and from a, a strong part of the press as well, there are the traditional challenges that the president or anyone who would win would have to face. Among these, we see the fiscal austerity, for example, the federal spending cap. But in regards, the fis uh, in regards to the fiscal austerity, for example, this is something that uh, he will have to, to balance the propositions that he wants to bring to the table of reinforcing certain vital areas uh, such as education and, and security, but also with a, a smaller budget to be able to do so. One of his campaign promises was to bring the, the spend expenditure for education in up to 10% of the GDP. And this is something that uh, it will be hard for him. As the, the consolidated public sector debt right now, it's a, it's a deficit of $132 billion. And he will have to manage very well the public expenditure and the budget in order to be able to do certain things that he promised throughout the campaign. I think that political capital is a limited force. I don't think that the Bolsonaro slash Gadges uh, team will focus in the beginning of the of their of their mandate if they win on Sunday on privatizations. I think this is uh, too big of a use of political capital. And of course, you put a lot of money on your piggy bank, but you don't change the negative curve of the fiscal problem in Brazil. Uh, therefore, I think that the focus will be totally on the pension reform. I spoke to a 
to a, a, a person in the economic team of Bolsonaro who told me that in the beginning they are focusing on the pension reform, especially after a poll yesterday by Estado de São Paulo newspaper with the newly elected congressman showed that 227, 44% of them are in favor. So it's a good starting point. A second point, they will use a lot of micro reforms that don't need the Congress to try to create confidence. And because of the confidence, try to bring back to Brazil a lot of foreign direct investments and just generate that positive uh, momentum for the country in the beginning of the months, which will help in the narrative of the pension reform as well. And I think privatization will be dealt on a case-by-case -case basis as time goes on. Thank you. Um, one, one additional challenge that I think is tied to our previous discussion now will be the relationship with the judiciary. Obviously, Eduardo Bolsonaro's comments uh, created huge waves in uh, Brazil's uh, political circles and, and legal circles. How do you see this relationship between a Bolsonaro administration and the Supreme Court moving uh, after these statements, after this uh, unpleasantness between uh, the two entities? Michael, Bolsonaro and his team, they will have to start acting presidential if their victory is confirmed on Sunday, Monday, with a, a total control of everything that is said by any, anyone in their team. The relationship with the judiciary is a very um, thin one. It's a very complicated one because different than the legislative, where it's common for you to see the executive and the legislative fighting each other over conjectural issues, we cannot see a president disregarding uh, institutions within the, the government structurally and criticizing their own existence. So this is something that Bolsonaro, he will have to shift his narrative of uh, attack against certain areas of the government, even, at, even though, uh, even if he disagrees that the functionality and the way that these institutions work are within the level that he expected, his criticisms must be conjectural and not structural. So even in relationship with the judiciary, that's even more hard because he might he must basically forget about the judiciary. Uh, it's none of his business to engage in any battle or any fight with the judiciary and focus his attention on the governability and the need to establish a good relationship with the other institutions. The less he talks about the judiciary, the more... The, he will show the others that the institutionality in Brazil is strong and that he is not concerned at all about the existence of these areas of the government. Thank you, Thiago. I think you touched on a, a key point uh, as far as the challenges for the next president and something that our clients at Arco Advice ask us about constantly, and it's this issue of governability. Now, of course, uh, the PSL is coming with a, uh, a large number of seats. They've shown incredible growth uh, in these elections. They may see even more growth uh, due to the barrier clause once uh, some federal representatives can move to the PSL in order to have uh, greater assistance for their party. But um, what we have seen, of course, there's a lot of negotiations to come, but we've seen Bolsonaro give some indications um, we recently saw him tell his federal representatives not to actively pursue the presidency of the lower house, for example. 
Um, what what can we glean from the the few inputs that we've seen from the Bolsonaro camp as far as their plans on how to ensure the governability of a Bolsonaro administration? Mike, I think that governability will always exist in the beginning of a government because the Congress is historically a governist entity. It's much better to be part of the government than to be part of the opposition in Brazil. You get much more benefits being part of the government. That said, I think there are a couple of hints in our recent uh, timeline here that ensures that Bolsonaro will begin with some uh, governability. If he will keep this in the uh, in the long run or even in the, in the short term and middle term, it will depend on uh, the capacity of this of his government to steer clear from uh, scandals and from just crisis and his capacity to negotiate the very difficult negotiation game of a Congress made up of 28 parties and several lines of thinking. Uh, we made a poll at ARCO with 164 federal congressmen and 66 believe that Bolsonaro will have a majority in the House or governability. If we look just as the, as the parties of the center, which are the parties that guarantee this governability, 71% believes that he will have a majority. The recent date, data that I gave in my last comment regarding pension reform and the newly elect congressman also indicates this governability. Of course, how long this governability will last will be a matter of this government's quality of negotiation and, and quality of steering clear from crisis. But I believe that in the beginning, we will see a government with capacity to begin talking with the Congress with quality and capacity of approval. Every president in Brazil has to understand that the Brazilian parliament is considerably stronger than any other parliament in our region, for example. Brazil is basically a parliamentary system dressed up as a presidentialist system in which the power of the legislative is as big, if not bigger, than the power itself of the executive, of the president. So reaching a majority is the easy task. Keeping this majority is very hard because, as Lucas well said, in such a diluted parliament with so many parties, the merit of the issue debated is not always the driver for convergence. Convergence many times is based, unfortunately, upon the convergence of interests. And in order for a president to manage that, he must have a very skilled interlocutor in order to maintain the, the Congress uh, up to its feet in an eye-to-eye relationship in order to alternate the construction of agendas. If he tries to impose his agenda and force the legislative to act as he expects, this is very hard to sustain, and then there is where a potential crisis could emerge. Thank you uh, very much, Thiago and Lucas, for these insights. I, this will do it for this week's Brazilian politics. I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in and invite you to tune, to tune in uh, next week. We will record on Monday with uh, discussions of the result of the runoff round and perspectives for the next government. Thank you very much.